Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music on our show today, episode 149. My special guest is my partner in crime, Mim Adams, and we are talking about rhythm and rhythm activities for your students. And my good friend, Dr. Shannon Coates, is continuing our series on debunking the myths in vocal pedagogy. And today we're talking about practice, foundational music skills, Pet peeves right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Hello, thank you, and welcome, my friend, my colleague. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full Voice Podcast. I just wanted to say a quick hello before I dive into my interviews today. I hope you are keeping well, and I want to thank everybody who shared their Halloween delightfulness on the socials. I saw so many cute little little singers with their costumes doing all sorts of spooky songs, the Halloween study, as well as What's That Sound, Zombie Cat Song. Oh, I love, love, love watching all the fun that you're having in your studios. And I also want to send out a virtual hug to each and every one of you as we embark on the winter holiday season and prepare for our holiday recitals and hopefully prepare for restful, rejuvenating holidays eventually. Uh, If you are in need of some wonderful seasonal songs, do not forget to check our website, thefullvoice.com forward slash songs. There's some wonderful seasonal, wonderful music on there written by Donna and written by Glynn. And we um, have just released a new uh, resource for teachers. It's called Children's Songs of Praise by Linda Fletcher. There's some wonderful holiday music in that book as well. Please check those out. And um, a lot of them are downloadable, so quick and easy. And they come with reproducible licenses. So yes, you can make copies. Yes, you can send the recording tracks, the practice tracks to your students. And yes, you can use them for performances and post the performances on social media. We All of that is included in the fee for the download. Now, without further ado, I am excited to introduce my dearest friend, my number one right-hand woman who has been by my side through this whole journey of developing the full voice. We go back uh, like mm, 30 years. So uh, now, what was supposed to be a 20-minute little segment about uh, increasing your rhythm and rhythm reading and feeling the rhythm activities in your studio turned into a much longer conversation because, well, we just love talking everything music and singing and learning and yes we get a little silly here I I do I'm not going to apologize I think it's kind of funny I hope you enjoy it but uh, Mim and I are talking about rhythms and in exploring rhythm and incorporating more rhythmic uh, exploration and, and opportunities with your students to work on that foundational skill and following that uh, Shannon Coates returns we are talking about I would say redefining. We're busting myths and we're redefining some of our 
old time practices when it comes to teaching voice. And this week's topic is practicing something that that can be a real challenge in your studio. But uh, spoiler alert, maybe it doesn't have to be a huge challenge in our studios. And maybe we can reframe what practicing actually looks like, but I'm not going to give away any more. So without further ado, my wonderful friend, Min. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, my ultimate friend, my number one commander-in-chief friend and colleague, Mim Adams. How are you? Hey, I'm doing really good. How are you, Nikki? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. So uh, it's funny, since I've moved out of the province, we have actually talked more uh, than ever in our entire lives. I know it's kind of incredible thinking how that, that works, but I mean, that's just the, uh, also the exciting growth of full voice over the past, uh, year and the past, uh, couple of years and having so many reasons to meet plus just the way we're like improving our, uh, like our, our teamwork practices. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. I have to say the pandemic really helped us to get better with online and remote working. Yes, I'm sure that's true for almost every single person. Right. You would hope. <laughs> Which I mean, it's it's I don't like looking back at the pandemic and saying these are the good things that came out of it. I'd rather just not have a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> but I mean it is what it is, right? So this is this is kind of an interesting new world that we are. I see. I kind I kind of like the you know it didn't kill me and I am stronger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, I want to um, I want to give you an opportunity. So um, Mim and I we started. Oh gosh, we started working on Full Voice ooh, well over two decades ago, and Mim has been by my side through the whole thing. And, uh, we met, we met at Long and McQuaid in the, in the lesson education center. And we were talking and we were saying, it's really hard to work with young singers. There's no resources. And I said, well, I created this page and this page and my singers really like it. And Mim was like, well, I created these pages. And we just went, do you want to kind of just put our brains together. And that's how it all started. Amazing. That was just the best. I'm so, I look back with such fondness to that meeting of minds being like, we agree. This is important. (laughs) It needs to be done. Let us do this. That was delightful. The other thing I want to tell listeners, like, so while our team has grown in the last couple of years and while our offerings are continuing to build, it's been a very slow, slow journey because, oh my goodness, we actually didn't start taking any funds really like as a, like as a pay out of full voice until like what year 15. Uh huh. Totally. I, I mean, like, we, would, we would go for lunch. It would be like, let's have some tacos. <laughs> I know. So I remember in the moderately recent times when I got my first regular, like full voice paycheck, I felt like Scrooge McDuck, <laughs> like diving in, diving in my pile of money. 
I mean, I can't retire on it yet, but I was like, oh, it's finally oh. happening. I'm finally getting paid. I know. And when people are like overnight success, it's like, oh, no. well, you mean like 15 years of overnight successes. Yeah. It's been exactly. a long, long journey. And I have to say there were a lot of naysayers in the beginning who were like, oh, music publishers, you can't do it. You got to go to all these trade shows. And then this thing called the internet and social media came along and mm. yeah. Amazing, amazing. Amazing. So congratulations to you, especially Nikki, who has carried the main bulk of the things to make it all work. I feel so grateful to just be there, to be a worker bee and <laughs> do all the things that, that I can do. And yeah, looking well, forward to well, carrying I do, on. Oh, I do appreciate you saying that, but also I have to tell everybody, Mim has this delightful way of telling you that what you're doing is wrong without making you feel bad it's you have this beautiful way of telling you you use beautiful language and you uh, you you're like i like this 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 and this and this is amazing but what about this and i and then you know you can't get angry with somebody that does that so Mm. you know what i always remember is one of the old podcasts that said two stars and a wish and it's like forever in my mind so I don't remember which podcast guest said that it might have been you actually talking about your sticker system or something but it's from one of the earliest full voice podcasts and that's always stuck with me for everything I do not just working with my students so yeah we are talking today we've actually had some really good conversations about this because when we are creating our resources for our kiddos we are looking at what are some of the skills that that uh, a singer needs a musician needs so today we're talking about rhythms mm-hmm. and helping our students and and rhythm rhythm is huge and it's not an, not just not just like the being able to counter rhythm, but innately becoming one with the rhythm because that's such, that's so crucial Agreed. for, for yeah, music. Man. So in this online process, mm. I have had just a heck of a time uh, like reviewing um, rhythms and, and getting to know what my students actually do and don't know about rhythm. So, mm. One great thing about it is my students all know the length of the quarter note, the length of a half note. Yeah. They can they can do the little clapping thing, you know, and they can they can do each note length correctly. But the hard part is having them actually flow and keep a steady beat and have mm. any understanding like why they have to do these lengths of notes. So there's this complexity there. And then taking it into singing songs and understanding like the time is passing while that beat is going. Like there's a connection there that is Mm -hmm. missing. And the reason it stands out now is while we're online, the teachers do a lot of subtle cues Mm -hmm. in, in real life, you know, in in person, the intros there and you're bobbing your head with the beat to show them where it is. And it's Mm -hmm. in real time. But when we do that online, there's a lag. So the student does not feel that the same way we feel it. And when we say like, sing now, like they don't know when that is. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not the same. And that's been exposed through this online stuff we've been doing. And I feel just so, so embarrassed. I'm like, Oh my goodness. All of my students are missing this integral piece of music, this 
feeling of rhythm and hearing the time and feeling the time. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, going into the pandemic right at the beginning, I used to think that I wasn't overcompensating for my student. I've always advocated for letting them sing unaccompanied and for for giving them that opportunity in the in the in-person lesson to sing and to develop their confidence. But mm-hmm. yeah, going going online those first couple of months was like everybody was hesitant, right? Everybody like and it really was a picture window to you don't sing at home very often, do you? Cuz you're just not comfortable in your space. You're not comfortable singing without me standing beside you and I I like what you said about those cues. Maybe they weren't so subtle. <laughs> right. They felt subtle to us. Right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's important. I agree. And I think too the other thing we have to remember is is you know everyone experiences beat and rhythm differently. And some of our kiddos aren't comfortable like asking some of your kiddos just to clap a rhythm. You'll notice that they clap really soft. Or your teenagers, you know, if they're singing like I always tell my singers if you're singing contemporary music, you have to move to it. Like you, you can't just, you can't just look sad. You have to feel that beat. You have to let your body feel that beat and how, how vulnerable that makes our singers feel. And even with my adults, some of my adults, they just like to close their eyes and kind of sway. And I'm like, that's great. And we need to also address that beat. Yeah. Right. Well, so like, I think that right there is an important issue is that many of us maybe forget to assess our students' rhythm. Just where are they at, right? Because of course, I think a general uh, like uh, philosophy for full voice is meet the students where they're at and help that student grow in the way they need to, right? And it's the same thing with this rhythm stuff is like, first of all, what do they feel? What are they already noticing? So like, if we, if we kind of think about the different sort of ages of students, we have our, our really little kids who are probably very new to our, stu- our studios, right? Those ones are great because we can start fresh with them and just do it right from the beginning. And they're going to be little musical geniuses and it's delightful. So like I found with those really little ones, let's just model it. We just need to show them. So I'm, I turn on my little accompaniment track and I'm immediately swaying to the beat. I'm moving my hands to the beat, you know, and they just will copy me and follow me. Mm-hmm. It's great. You, you're giving them permission, right? You're, you're, when you model that and you show them that, Hey, we can have fun moving. You're modeling that. And in a way you're giving them permission. It might take them a while to mm-hmm. jump on board, right? Cause they're going to proceed, you know, cautiously yeah yeah and that's okay too right it's not about perfection at this point it's about confidence and comfortable and exploring and I always find it interesting like you know I'll model like I'll give them different ways that they can move their bodies like maybe do you want to clap your hands not everybody wants to clap your hands how do you feel if you like if you hit your, you know, your leg, what if you tap on your leg? You know, what if you use your body and you sway back and forth? And like, and I like them to explore a whole bunch of different ones because usually they'll start to find 
they'll start to find uh, uh, something that they do feel comfortable with. And again, I always, uh, that's part of the assessment, right? What are they comfortable doing? And it might not be that they don't have the ability to do it. It might be that they are hesitant. And I've noticed that this is that this is that beautiful time in our studio where we get to give them the space to, to explore things and without, without correction. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I love the language. What happens if, what happens if we sway back and forth? What happens if we, what if we tap our hands? Right. I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, yeah. And it's, it's neat. So like progressing from that first assessment, right. It's like, what do you feel? And then as the student becomes more ready for it, we can start to get even more specific. Like, like when we're working with older singers, we can be like, what do you also hear while we're feeling these things? Right. Like you have a really great story about driver's license, about sort of your, why that's like your favorite song. Nikki loves driver's license. I do love that song. (laughs) But like, there's a very specific reason why you love that song and working as as a great sort of rhythm and listening Mm -hmm. project. Would you tell us about it, Nikki? Okay, so (laughs) yes. Okay, so I love driver's license for a lot of reasons. There is something just innately, just, you know, my, my, my teenager self, right? That, that angst of, of the, the guy that I, I think I, I probably had that relationship in high school. So there's something <laughs> like from my, my, my teenage years that just kind of connects to it. Um, I love the registration that Olivia Rodrigo uses. Like sh- there's no way she's not a trained singer. She uses head voice mix, uh, chest voice. She uses a very cool breathy sound. I love all of it. But what I love about driver's license is that it's, it, it's got that, that it's, it's, it's the car door binging. It starts with the car door. It's like, bing, 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 bing. And what I do is I get them. I'm like, okay, we're listening to that, that bing. So I'll get them in the, and they have to do it on their end because they have to play the tune on their end because I'm still online. There's going to be a leg, but I ask them to listen to that, that dinging sound. And first I ask them just to ding, just to, to tap with it, not singing. Right. So, you know, it comes in. Right. And then when I said, okay, now what, what does that make you want to do? Do you want to like move your head? Do you want to just, do you want to just want to focus on that? And then what I do, cause I'm evil is I make them just do that with two fingers into the palm of their hand. So they have to, they have to start with that, that beat. And then I'm like, okay, now you got to sing. So they have to tap <laughs> it. So now they have to tap it. I got my driver's license last week. Oh, that's so hard. It's such a syncopated melody. (laughs) So obviously, yeah, exactly. It is. It's like very syncopated against that beat, which is why it feels so cool, right? Absolutely. And Um, you can't understand that syncopation. Like, it doesn't matter if you can brain think it, if you cannot internalize the feel of that, that, um, upbeat quality, right? Everything's so energized. Yeah. Then the song's going to not, not work. Well, and that's, that's part of the, 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 the driving factor of contemporary music is that syncopated rhythms Mm -hmm. that push against the downbeat. Right. So 
I love I love exploring that. Now, obviously, I'm going to abandon all my conversation about vocal technique, right? I am not I'm not even listening to their voices or their diction or their anything. I'm not going to talk about breathing. It is very much an exercise where they have to just focus on that. And that is so important. Um, and it's interesting, one of the things that I miss because of the pandemic is my students always had an opportunity to play with a band. In fact, Mim was often the keyboard player in said band for my recitals. Woo, always so much fun. But but you as a as a as a seasoned professional musician, it's challenging working with my singers. Why? Well, I mean, your singers are great, so I actually don't find them that challenging okay. to work See, with. Oh, I'm calling you up. There's one of the stars. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, see how she says nice things first? Oh, uh, hilarious. Okay, so basically there's sort of issues can be there around timing, like trying to get a, a little student to know how long an intro is and feel mm-hmm. comfortable starting, right. right? And to express the tempo of the song that needs to be there. And I mean, we're throwing these kids, what is it? Throwing the fish into the frying pan or something like that. Like you get your little 10 year old and like, okay, count in that band. <laughs> so okay. I mean, that's the beauty of this, this experience only, for them is they start to learn about these concepts. I only said that once. I only said that once to a 10 year old. Come on. Yeah. But, but this is the thing, like, why not give them these opportunities and Mm. let them know that this is real this is what professional musicianship entails and it's not too hard no it's about learning that you have to do it Mm -hmm. enjoying doing it feeling comfortable doing it and how do you do that by doing it well and and there's so in counting in a band that's that internalization right so Mm -hmm. that's one thing that they do the, and and I I certainly learned a lot about it when I did my Kadai training is that internalizing music but not you know so listening to it and hearing it in your head because that's what you have to do before yeah. you count in your your accompanist or your band you have to like think about the song you know and I've been in situations where I'm like either tired or I'm nervous and all of a sudden I got to count in my my ensemble and it's like okay oh gosh I'm gonna take a deep breath and then I gotta think for a few minutes not minutes hopefully but a few seconds and then count it in and there's been times where Sean's like are you sure that's where you <laughs> like make? I'm not always sure but follow like, me <laughs> And then, and then of course, you know, when you work with your husband, it's like, my brain is full. You count it in. (laughs) But no, so going, let's go back to the littles, right? So discovering the difference between beat and rhythm. Mm -hmm. So we actually have activities. And, and again, Donna Rodenizer, who works with us, uh, so exclusively and also she's amazing and we love her so much but she is a Kadai and Orf trained teacher she is a music education specialist so if anybody knows how important it is for to learn beat 
and rhythm. It's Donna. And a lot of Donna's music is swung. It has um, syncopated rhythms. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why people love her music, because it has an energy to it. Mm-hmm. So, and it's rhythmic energy. Yeah, very mm-hmm. much so. So with the Littles, when we created the, the vocal studies for kids, there's um, skateboard dinos is a perfect Mm -hmm. example. So the actual activity on the page is understanding and exploring the difference between beat and rhythm. And I just want to tell people it's okay. The kids are going to get this mixed up. They're, they're not, they're going to, if you go back and forth between beat and rhythm, it takes them, it takes them a while for sure. Have you noticed that? Oh, absolutely. But that's normal. It's a new skill that they're learning about. They're learning terminology and they're learning that coordination. Yeah. That's, it's fine to take a while. Yeah. So with, with skateboard dinos, um, so if they're going, so if we're exploring beat and I refer to it as the heartbeat, this is like the Mm. heartbeat of the song. I get them to, I get them to, to tap. We're often, we're often sitting for this, or we were in the studio, we would sit down for this or sit at a desk to do this, but I would get them to tap the beat. And of course you have to demonstrate. And here's yeah. my other, here's my other tip. You have to slow down. Yes. You have to slow down your and If you sing something or play something or clap something to a little one and they repeat it, but slower, that's the tempo you need to be going at. They're actually <laughs> showing you. I miss that cue sometimes. I always kick myself. But, you know, so if you go, you know, uh, I'm just going to tap on the desk here. If you're going, uh, uh, what is it? Do, re, mi, fa, so, do, skateboard, dinos, go, go. So if, if you sing that to them and they come back and they go, do, re, mi, fa, so, that's the tempo. That's, that's what where, they need. That's what they need. So sometimes yeah. we, sometimes the reason that they struggle with rhythms is because we rush. Like what seems yeah. slow to us is like super fast to a little one, right? There's a lot of coordination. So we'll, so for beat, I get them to do the both hands in their laps and let, you know, and I ask them, you know, if you want to sway with that, you can. And then for rhythm, I, because they're often eighth notes, I use the two fingers in the palm of the hand. So yeah. if I, so I'd be like, um, do, re, mi, fa, so, do, skateboard, dinos, go, go. But you can do that with all of your repertoire. You could, you can do all sorts of stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. So why that's kind of brings up an interesting point. So the different ways that we can do these actions. So the idea of doing the beat instead of only clapping the beat, right? right. And then also clapping the rhythm. I find that can be very confusing to a student because it's the same action mm. for a different thing. So what you said about like, I get them to tap on the desk or, yeah. or tap on their lap right? For the beat, or even just this like tap on your heart, you know, give yourself a a heartbeat, right? This, this motion that is like, this is the beat. And then your other motion for the rhythm. And so clapping the rhythm or singing the rhythm, la, 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 whatever you choose to do. Um, And then also it's neat. You do a lot of this two fingers in the palm of your hand. Mm -hmm. Is there a little more you'd like to tell us about why you choose this sometimes instead of this? 
Okay, well, for a couple of reasons. Um, some children don't like the actual loudness of a clap. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that. So if you have a child that's maybe a little anxious or is uncomfortable or hesitant, that's a big sound and it's a little jarring. So uh, again, that's part of the assessment. Like, do they like making big sounds? Uh, total aside, my son can la clap so ridiculously loud and he actually revels in it. And whenever we're at like a sports game or he used to do it at church and like it drives us, it actually hurts our ears. It's so loud mm -hmm. and, he and he loves torturing us with his loud clapping. And even in church, like my son would be clapping because he just knows the exact place on his hands where you get Which that. Which is very cool that he has studied this. See, and is there's, there's and Mim with the star. There's, there's Mim with the star again. It's annoying, <laughs> Mim. It's annoying. Do not Sorry. encourage Sorry, him. Sorry, I'll get more like negative. <laughs> Noah, don't ever do that. Your parents hate it. Um, anyhow, but yes. Yeah, so, so the the softer sound, and also I, it gets. I I find too. We're dealing with children with coordination, and you would think that bringing your hands together is easy, but sometimes, like I just find that there's more flexibility and quickness, dexterity in the two fingers in the hand. That's just been that's just been my experience. It's not, you know. And again, you might have a student that can do rhythms really quickly with with their hands, but I I like the I like the softer sound. I think too, coming from a Kadai thing, I don't know if you want like a whole class of kids. <laughs> uh, yes, noise levels. Right, um, another, um, just a little side about clapping is it if we're online, the sound of a clap can trigger all those suppression sensors. So it can be very difficult to hear your student performing their rhythm. So something that's a lot more gentle. And in fact, when I'm trying to model rhythms for my students, and I even know there's a bit of a lag, but I'm trusting in them seeing regularity, right? So when I'm trying to show you should be clapping or the beat is here, I actually don't clap. I just bring my hands like this. I'm like, I fake clap. <laughs> Because I know that it's going to in, in, like get in the way of the sound traveling through the computer. A lot of fake clapping going on up here. I also do a lot of like fancy fingers and like stuff like that. Very cool music teacher things. That's, you know what? I'm really glad you brought that up because you're right. Yes, clapping sometimes gets either distorted, right? So I will actually do a little sound check. Like if I clap like this. Mm -hmm. What does that sound like? Does that sound, does it sound okay? Or is it, does it, does, does Zoom cut it out? Like we've been on Zoom long enough that my, my kids actually understand, you know, okay, well I'm missing that or can, or, and I've told them if you need to hear it again, just ask, can you play it again? Maybe there was a lag, maybe Zoom was frozen, like whatever. Like, yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah. there was the time my little seven-year-old student, we were just having a little bit of issue. And she was like, I'm just going to change my settings. Was like, Do you need help with that? She's like, I know my way around Zoom pretty well. And then I was like, I need you to co-host my next event. <laughs> Could <laughs> Take care imagine? of the tech, please. <laughs> All right. So, what was her name? Little Layla. Uh, so uh, welcome everybody to the workshop. My co-host and co-moderator is Layla. Hi everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be so great. I would okay. just love, love I 
I have another story like that. So I was working with Esme and Esther and we were working on a duet. Now online, they could not sing together, but we were also in lockdown and they couldn't sing together anywhere, anyhow. So they would have to mute themselves. But we had this thing where they were going, they were singing the hummy hummingbirds and Esther was going to, had a cutout and she was going to fly it across. And then, and then, and then Esme was going to grab it and fly it across. But here's the thing. They were the, there, there was a mirror setting, you know, you can set zoom to have a mirror image, right? So they're like, no, if I grab it on this side, Esme's over here. And, and then I was like, oh, you guys are in mirror. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll fix that. I'm like, oh my gosh. And they're like nine. That's incredible. They're like, oh yeah, my zoom setting was this. So they're little technical wizards, but are they rhythm wizards? <laughs> See, so what I'm getting from this is these kids are completely capable of doing yeah. these important musical concepts as shown by their dedication to learning Zoom tech, right? <laughs> and yeah. I believe you also have a story about the Cups song that again demonstrates that these little kids can do this stuff. Oh, yeah. So um, one of my little, one of the songs that I actually don't mind, pop songs that I don't mind, and I've had actually good success with it with some of my littles is the cup song when when I'm gone right yeah I don't know the words which so I just none of it but anyhow um so I did that with my vocal class my little introductory vocal class and they were like what ages are those kids they're like eight to ten like almost nine and ten um and most of them are nine and so I had the one little singer and all of them, except for one, before even bringing the song to their attention, had learned the little, the little rhythmic pattern that's done with the cup. Mm-hmm. And if nobody knows what I'm talking about, Google cup song and you'll see this little thing where they tap on a little plastic cup and then they, they turn it over and they smack it on the table and then they smack the table and then they turn it over. Like, honestly, I couldn't, I, I would have to like practice that really well. Hard. That's the key. They right? had to practice. They it. did have to practice it and all of them knew it really well. So what we did is I got the girls that knew the cup percussion part to videotape themselves doing that I got my little singer who was the soloist to sing it and Sean edited it so it started off with all of the girls doing the rhythmic thing and then Isabel pops up in the middle singing the song and then but but here's the thing like kids liked like they really love that thing that little fun You know, so I have um, a technical question for you. In when all those kids recorded their cup percussion at home, did did you assign them like a metronome marking? How did you facilitate the timing? They had to they had to play it while playing the music. Oh, okay. So the yeah. music kept them in the yeah. proper time. You're like this is the exact track to play with. Exactly. Go. Amazing. Something that's really important, especially when we're working maybe with our sort of middles and older students, Mm -hmm. even even leading into adults, um, is using our eyes instead of our ears for rhythm. So we were discussing this a little bit before, and 
like with a karaoke track, a straight up karaoke. YouTube has been the online teacher's greatest friend, I'm sure. Like there's a million excellent tracks on there for singers to sing along with. And karaoke is a very specific type. Of course, I mean karaoke with the lyrics on screen and that color that shows you where we are with the words. Man, karaoke tracks just show you what to do. And it's amazing. It's a great resource for a lot of things, but it does not help our students understand time. And then it's also pretty funny when you watch a karaoke track and there's a countdown, but the countdown has nothing to do with the timing of the song. Very frustrating. Yes. Um, But so, and then one other thing that happened, this happened to me and it hurt my, my heart, but I understood why it needed to happen in this moment is one of my little students, like a young teenager, she was singing a song and she really needed to know when to start singing and she needed to know like tonight. So I wasn't able to be like, let's spend the next 20 minutes practicing counting. So I just gave her a timestamp. I was like, it starts at the seven second mark. Start singing when you see that seven, go. You know, and again, it hurt but it was the thing to do in the moment. So these kinds of visual cues um, should not be relied on. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. I noticed that with even my adult singers who are, you know, and this, I'm not using this as a negative term, like karaoke singers, like that is their, where that's where they get their tracks from. That's what they sing along Mm -hmm. with. One of the rules in my studio uh, and I and I established this after I saw what a disadvantage and what they were and were not listening to is if you are going to use a karaoke track, you have to print up the lyrics and you can't look at the screen. Mm-hmm. And that that exposed some serious lack of skill when it came to listening to the track as far as the beat, feeling the beat, um, knowing when to come in. And again, I always found that with my, and this is with my adults, they actually knew when to come in. They just wanted the guarantee, right? Mm-hmm. They, they know. And I, and I always call them out. I'm like, you know, when to come in, you looked at me at the second, you knew you were supposed to come in. Now this time, don't look at me with the panicked look of despair and just come in and what happens if you come in in the wrong spot you shift around and you find it like you've got to you've got to do that so by taking away that video the way the lyrics lit up um the other thing that i again with my adults and karaoke singers is like we we would practice like a lot of tapping a lot of you've got to feel that beat if you get up on stage with the band there's no lyrics flashing at you and the, all the musicians, the band are going to be move, moving to the music. So let's let's join them in that endeavor, and so that you know we can feel the music. Um, but yeah, the karaoke, and that's I want to point out for anybody that uses our single song downloads, and if you if you go to our website, we now have a listening library and their lyric videos. But we chose to not have the lyrics light up or a follow the lyrics, like a verse, like a, a, a line or two lines are going to be on the screen and then it goes to the next little segment of lyrics. We don't want that to be used as a crutch. Like we want it to be used as a tool. Sometimes our, sometimes our kids, they need some assistance at home, right? They need something to help them learn the song. So, but... I didn't want it to be the karaoke where it lights up and tells you when no, to sing. No, and I'm so glad that they're not. Because that's kind of like a 
a good stepping stone to the tough love of print those lyrics, <laughs> but that stepping stone of lyric videos there's a lot of beautiful ones out there where just like a section appears on screen and yeah there's no indication of timing you just have to feel the time yourself it's much better for skill building rhythmically for our students but again you know what your student needs to work on right so if if you're currently like we're putting rhythm aside and working on some other thing whatever use your karaoke track you know if you're like round those vowels you don't want them being distracted by multiple things all at once depending on your student you know your student I, I want to tell everybody that before we started recording, I introduced MIM to one of my favorite online tools, which was Bongo Cat. <gasps> yes. <laughs> it was great. And I, I wish, was really excited. Oh my gosh. And and I wish that I wish that I could have shown everybody her face. She's like, oh my gosh, I found the marimba. Oh, it plays the piano. It's such a cool piano. And anyhow, so if if a professional musician can get excited about a little cute cat that just plays bongo sounds on the screen, imagine what like a young student is going to do and very simply like bongo cat you just google bongo cat and you'll it'll pop up and i use bongo cat for like clapback things right and it's just you know it's just the kids smile they laugh and at the end if if they get it right then i hit the space bar and he meows Woo! they so love good. it they yes. Love it. So the bongo cat, like from my very brief introduction to it today, it was like I could mouse click and make only one sound if I hit my. This is a physical mouse, not a touchpad. I didn't try it on my touchpad, um, but I'll try that later. Um, and then it was like you can use the keys on your laptop. So I still have some discovery to do on the what's going to happen on the studio end, on the student end. Of course, the student's going to have that. I'm going to mash every key down and make it go. <laughs> And then, then we have to be like, just do one key <laughs> so we can do one rhythm. <laughs> I'm already living that experience and trying I to know. get around and it. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things I wanted to say, like, is people are often like, well, what, what apps can we give them so that can help them with rhythm? You can't assign apps to fill in the gaps. Oh, that's a, mm, that's a good. It rhymes. It rhymes. No, like, honestly, it's like, I need sight singing act. I need rhythm apps. Here's the thing. We need to actually do it in the lesson. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the basic foundational skills that you can't assign them for homework and hope that they'll get on that. It's the same thing with ear training. Like I love ear training apps, but really our students are beginners of any age. They need you to stand over them and and make them either a use the app. So if I want if I want a child of any age, including my adults, to use the app at home, I we have to work on it together in the lesson. They're not going to do it that you can't just send a oh hey parents, here's Bongo Cat. They're like you can't you can't do that. And and we need to work on these skills. They're important important important. So so if you're going to use an app it, the use is in, in your lesson. And then when they're really comfortable, they're more likely to use it at home. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Like, and, and again, we're talking about child students. Yes. Maybe your adults have the skills to navigate okay. that. You know what? Uh, I'm talking app, about, I'm maybe. talking, 
I'm talking about my teenagers too. If I don't actually sit with them in the lesson and show them the app and get them to use it, I can't tell you how many times, you know, we'd be like working on an ear training app and my, my teenagers are like, Oh, I didn't know it did that. Oh, that's where that menu is. Oh, I didn't know it kept score. Oh, right. Like you have to do it with them. You do. You do. So if we're going to bring rhythm into our lessons regularly, mm-hmm. so as someone who's listening to this podcast and like, my mind is blown, I need to work my <laughs> rhythms, which is also me just saying, <laughs> I am actively trying to do better. Um, so like, can we just talk a bit about like for each sort of category of students, like how we might do that? Now, I think we mentioned right near the beginning with our really littles, man, we're laughing. It's easy. Just start, just do it because- that's, that's going to become normal for them. But then we have our middles who maybe you've taught them for like a year or two years. So they're a little more into their stuff. They're getting, they've, they've started to have a pattern in their lessons. And then all of a sudden you're like, what feel the beat? What are you talking about teacher? So any, any, any thoughts on what we can do with those kids? And well, something that I'm always evaluating and I don't, I'm, Hmm. How do I want to put this? I think that the mindset of warm up and then songs, warm up and songs was like, you know, how I was taught and maybe you were taught singing. And I mean, I, none of my voice teachers ever explored rhythms with me unless I sang something wrong and then they would just play it louder on the piano for me. And I certainly didn't have movement exploration and I wasn't given a space where like that creative musical play was part of my lesson. And I know a lot of teachers have come from that tradition where the voice lesson is technical exercises and repertoire development. And we now know if you're working with kids, and nope, I take that back. If you are working with any age, even your adults, like my avocational adults need some serious catch up on their rhythms, right? Like they've never been given that space to explore. So in a lesson, in a comprehensive music lesson, how can a vocal warm up? So let's say we're doing a vocal warm up. A vocal warm up is anything that gets the child or teen or adult into the space and ready to learn. So how can your how can your warm ups be more comprehensive? So how can it be? And this is part of the reason why we have problems with engagement right? We have problems with engagement in our studios because we're asking them to hyper-focus on one specific thing and maybe we can get the body involved. Like if we're going to work on um, technique, which is a lifetime thing, I'm still working on technique. You're still working on technique. Like we're not, we never master it. So I would say like if you were doing like, you know, a five note scale, you know, if you're, if you're using hand signs, when they push those hand signs, and you, my listeners can't listen to me, but I'm doing the soulfish hand signs and I'm pumping them each time like do, re, mi, fa, so. Like I'm feeling the beat when I do the hand sign. So not only am I singing, not only am I using my ears to, to hear, the, hear the pitches, I'm using my body to establish that steady beat. 
Right. Yeah. And it's so easy as just show your student once I'm going to do this with two pulses. Do, re. Yeah. And I'm using my voice to kind of show that pulse. Yeah. Show them and yeah. they will do it back and begin to feel it. And it's, yep. that's, it's so easy to add yeah. that little element. And when we're introducing songs. So when we teach a song, you know, you can, I, I call it song study, right? Like, you know, oh, I, you know, teachers are like, oh, I need new warmups. Use their songs. Like it saves you time. It's a very productive lesson and it ties everything in so beautifully. So if we're looking at something like, I don't know, I'm going to use, oh, I'm going to use Glynn. Uh, this is my, one of my favorite Halloween songs, Dark and Dingy, right? If we're learning Dark and Dingy, I might speak the text rhythmically. It's dark and dingy and windy outside. And then, I, and then while I'm saying it, I'm tapping in my hands. It's dark and dingy and windy outside. The tapping the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, and then when, when, and then when I introduce the melody, well, they've secured the rhythm because they've been tapping it. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think taking fragments of the score. And exploring the rhythmic elements. Um, So when we're thinking about our older students, right? So a lot of our older students, we're probably on a plan. So we're like, we have, you have an audition coming up. You're like, you're working on these songs for this musical you're actually in or your choir piece. So we have like, we're on a track. They have very specific uh, schedule goals. So how do we bring this kind of stuff into them? We know it's, something they're missing and will help them with their endeavors. Now, here I am asking the question, but I also have the solution, if, uh, if I may share, <laughs> the so-called solution, um, which is just this idea, like, put it in, again, with a lot of modeling, put it into their intro of their song. So while that track is playing or while maybe you're accompanying your student, start adding that count. Ready? Go. One, two, three, four, two, you know, and just show them that counting and they will pick that up with you. Right. And again, interludes, the same thing. They're like, okay, eight bar break, one, count those bars, a two, you know, and just show that with them. Um, I think like, that's just something really important to start bringing in and talking about the sections of your song and maybe stating things like it's a 32 bar tune and start building those things into their terminology and their thinking yeah and two like especially if you're like talking about you know if you're introducing form form is something in Kadai and orf form is discussed at like elementary levels like a, this is an aba song right yeah, like those- and it's so important right the mm-hmm. lengths of things matter in form rhythm and and bars are lengths of bars like that is with my adults with my older students my teens and adults I if they're doing contemporary stuff I encourage them to I encourage them to like I always tease them right I'm like Mm -hmm. so so let me get this straight when you're singing alone nobody's around do you just stand or sit perfectly still (laughs) they're like (laughs) they're like no Oh, of course I don't. I'm like, then why are you doing that here? Like, why are you standing so perfect? So again, I want to give them permission in a fun and friendly and safe as possible way, you know, explore the move. But like, even with my adults, I'm like, if you are listening to the radio, you're going to tap, tap the beat on your, on your, 
on your uh, steering wheel. You know, tap the beat on the stage. I said, don't get distracted, like pay attention, but like, or, or like if you're sitting at your desk and you're listening to your tunes, like, like take a pencil, take a pencil and, and become a percussionist. That's what I say to my singers, become a percussionist. Yes. And then I tell them the stories of how I had to learn to play tambourine as I sang background vocals in disco bands. And let me tell you, friends, that six, that quick 16th note pattern on a tambourine is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) (laughs) It's confidence. That is physical confidence to create those rhythms and percussive sounds. And and sing the background vocals. That is hard Uh, stuff. I'll bet you you were so gosh darn good at those. No, I wasn't. In fact, it was a drummer in the band who was like, Nikki, we need to talk about your percussion playing. And he actually took me outside at the rehearsal and gave me like he every every rehearsal. And I have to thank him for this because, man. I got a lot of background vocal gigs where I had to play percussion instruments. And so, so Mark Hansen, not that he would ever listen to this. Mark Hansen, I met him in college. I played in bands with him. He would make me show up like 15 minutes early before the band showed up for rehearsal. And he's like, Nikki, I'm just going to play grooves and you're going to play the tambourine. Amazing. And, And he would be like, listen, no, when my, no, don't do no, not like that. And, and and then he'd be like, "When my hand hits this drum, you should be here." And it was, it was mortifying. I want to tell everybody it was absolutely mortifying because Mark Hansen was super cute, and I had the biggest crush on him, and I did mm-hmm. not want to look like a ding dong in front of him. Yeah. So so I worked really hard on my percussion skills so that. The cute, Good. so that the cute the drummer fear was in you <laughs> it was it was well I was in my I was 19 right just oh, out of yeah. high school and like first time living in a big city going to college anyhow so yes um I I encourage my my uh and I've even given them pencils uh and percussion instruments in my vocal class when we were in person I mm-hmm. had a box of percussion and sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes our first warm up was just listening to a tune and everybody got a percussion instrument and I'd be like yeah just feel the beat yeah. with your percussion I've seen a lot of inspiring posts on the voice teachers uh Facebook page mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. teachers who like I send my kids a welcome package right <gasps> especially and this they- online and they've got rhythm sticks in there I'm like yes. oh that's so smart rhythm sticks or shakers they're not expensive they're not mm-hmm. expensive at all. And and the smaller rhythm sticks aren't too loud. I had this one pair of rhythm sticks. They were so crazy loud. I ended up hiding yeah. them because I didn't want any of the kids <laughs> to pick I the really that. loud rhythm sticks. I love that. You got to hide sticks. the things that the kids love too much. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, my God, I can't. Oh, um, oh anyhow, um, we, you know what? We should wrap this up. I love talking to you. This is what Mim and I do when we are working on our resources and thinking about how we can help our, our students discover musical skills and stuff. This is, this is how our conversations. Oh, absolutely. There's all kinds of like tales from the trenches, (laughs) (laughs) but Um, it's been delightful sharing this info with you. And I hope that the teachers out there like get something helpful from this. And I am actively interested in suggestions on ways to if any other teachers have tips on um, our online lessons and getting those rhythms happening Mm -hmm. more 
uh, more often and mm-hmm. more accurately, especially online where, you know, those teacher cues yeah. <laughs> don't work so well. <laughs> I know, right. Well, Mim, as always, like I love talking to you. I could talk to you all day. Thank you for coming on and sharing this information with the listeners of our podcast. And uh, Mim's actually going to be coming back because uh, she's got some really great uh, strategies and skills, lots of great pedagogy for working with all ages. And for those of you who don't know, Mim is, uh, is very much, uh, her, her one of many superpowers is jazz. So Mm -hmm. we're going to have Mim come back, talk about helping singers with jazz and, and, we are, here's a teaser. We've been talking about it for a while, but there is an introductory vocal study book coming out from Full Voice soon. We are working, we're working away on it. It's coming. We call it jazz, but it's really all music and heavy on the rhythm. Yeah. Which is important for all music. Yeah, it's true. And it's also true. jazz. But all music. <laughs> all right Mim I'm wishing you an amazing day thank you same to you welcome back to the podcast my friend my colleague the person that just sent me this huge box of chocolate from Newfoundland you evil woman welcome to the podcast Shannon Coates Hi, Nikki. You deserve it. You deserve it. That's what you get for being so amazing. <laughs> okay, so Shannon asked me to come in and talk to uh, her uh, her voice uh, teaching child singer pedagogy practicum. Pop practicum. And of yes. course, like, you don't have to pay me anything to come talk about that. I can talk about that all day. However, the box of chocolates is very much appreciated. So thank you very much. <laughs> My pleasure. And all Canadian, too. I from know. Newfoundland. I know. Oh, so good. Uh, so we are continuing our series on debunking the myths of voice pedagogy. We talked about the, the long longstanding myth of working with children, but today we're diving into practicing. Ooh, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> so... Uh, when I was when I was taking voice lessons when I was twelve a million years ago, there was this: you must practice half hour every day. And I can honestly tell everybody that I did not ever practice a half hour a day, and I, somehow I still turned out all right. So I think I think this is a good topic. This is so true. Confession times. Oh. <laughs> I started taking voice lessons when I was 13, and I did not practice. (laughs) Like, very rarely, very rarely. And, you know, I did just fine on my Royal Conservatory of Music exams. (laughs) I could have done better, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) But my level of practicing was very, um, very not great. (laughs) Very not great. No, very not great. And so I'm not here to say, I think we're not here to say, like, no one should ever practice ever. <laughs> That's oh. not, what not, not what we're here to say. Okay. But well, definitely. Fine. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but definitely here to talk about, again, about this absolute around how much you should practice, what you should, like all of the shoulds around practicing. And also all of the sort of um, things we tell ourselves as voice teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Like this student 
um, you know, if I can't get my students to practice, then I'm not a good voice teacher, right? Like, if, how do I right. motivate students to practice? And how, how does that reflect on me? And also, you know, this frustration that we often have where we're like, you could be doing so much better if only you would practice, right? Like, you could be so much farther along if only you would practice. Blah, blah, blah. So we get, right, we get this, like, and and sometimes that reflects poorly on us because we, you know, we or we feel like it reflects poorly on us as teachers, you know, if someone isn't prepared for a recital right. or they're not prepared for, I don't know, a festival or something like that. We feel like, oh, that's going to make us seem like bad teachers, yeah. maybe, you know, well, so you there's see, a lot kind of caught up in this. Yeah, you see that in the forums, right? People are always you know, how can I motivate, you know, my kids don't practice. And then you get the teachers who are like, if they're not practicing, I kick them out of my studio. That's, that's, I know. That's a little, hmm. So, so I know of studios where the, the practicing versus non-practicing student, and I'm putting those all in big quotes, um, that dynamic is used as a fear-based tactic where if you don't practice, you can't be in my studio anymore, right? So I, I, there are teachers who do work this way with, you know, like if you're, because, you know, we see practicing as this like motivation thing. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that in one of our sessions. We're going to talk about quote, lazy students at some point too. So, um, but where, so where we use this as a punitive, you know, fear-based kind of working in the studio where we say like only students who practice can, you know, be part of my studio. Um, so that's, a, that's a little bit of a different thing, but and what we're here to talk about today is to talk about the absolute around you must practice and you must practice in a certain way, right? So there are, there's so much bound up in this. Like we, like we said, there's so much bound up in us feeling like we're a good teacher, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, I would love to, I'd love to ask first, where do you land on this, Nikki? Like, what do you say to students? Like, where do you land on this? Oh, sorry. And the other thing too, is that parents come in and say, my kid is not practicing. And so now, like, should they even be taking voice lessons, right? Like, or I've told my kid that if they don't practice, I'm going to pull them out of lessons, right? Like, I've, I've told them that, like, we're paying for this. And so if they don't practice, then they can't have lessons anymore. So they use it again. So parents use it punitively as well this practicing thing. So what do you, what, I would love to just know, like, where, how you handle that. Uh, okay, so going back to, like, a result-driven studio, right? Okay, so in my, in my early years of teaching, I had what I would consider, uh, what I wanted to consider as a result-driven studio where, you know, festival competitions and current conservatory exams. And yes, I did take it personally as a teacher if my students didn't practice. And, and then when I was younger, before I had a child and a life, um, you know, I would, I would give up my time and have extra practicing sessions for my students for recitals and for especially for competitions and it was exhausting and um 
you know, as I, as I continued teaching, I moved away from the performance driven studio to more of a family friendly community, you know, like finding the joy in singing. Um, and my attitude towards practicing changed. And so what I, my, my, I, what my goals are for the young ones and for, well, for all ages is the first thing that we have to make peace with is that they have to feel comfortable about singing at home. Yes. I was hoping you would say that. Yes. I love that. They have to, they have to make peace with their voice. They have to be confident. They have to be able to sing without hesitation and not worry about making mistakes. And that doesn't happen within the first few lessons, right? It could take months before, you know, singers are going to feel confident to sing at home, you know, and, and I think also, especially through the pandemic, like I, I had a conversation with families. It's like, we're all going through so much. All I want your kid to do is to sing at home if it brings them joy. And there's no stress, there's no pressure. And what was interesting with that, with that conversation, I had a whole bunch of parents say that singing became something that they did because they wanted to. Isn't that interesting? Right? Mm-hmm. That, and then my students brought new music to me that they were interested in singing because it made them feel a certain way and they had found some solace in singing and, you know, and comfort and, you know, being home. Now that wasn't everybody. And some of my kids, you know, with all the family being home, it was awkward, right? I think that, I think, and, and for the record, like I always talk about this in my in the full voice teacher training, like I never ask my children, students to practice technical exercises like ever. I do not expect an eight-year-old to understand why, you know, to sit there with their straws and doing their tongue trills. Like I want them to feel comfortable singing at home. So setting up a safe space, you know, and, and enjoying singing in their room or wherever they're going to practice. And then I work with families to do that. And then I have the conversation with families, like you are responsible for the routines and the priorities that happen in your house. I have no impact on that. And so again, I have good relationships with my families. So it's, it's not an issue. They can they can tell me that they are or they aren't. And if I have a parent that's like really worried about it, then we'll have a conversation. You know, what do you want to see? Like, do you want to see them automatically go and practice? And I, for those who listen to my podcast, y'all know that my, my kid loves baseball, right? There's still days where I have to go, hey, get off your tablet and go outside and hit your ball around. And then he's, but he's not practicing the way his coach told him to. <laughs> Just for the record, he's not practicing his swing. He's having a he's having a fantasy ball game in my backyard, right? So yeah, and I want I want to pull out a couple of things from what you just said there and just make them explicit. So one is that you reframed success in the studio, right? So you said, okay, if I have this performance-driven studio, 
that's not actually the way that I want things to work. And this isn't necessarily the way that I want singers to work. Now, if, if this is, if that is important to you as a teacher, and if that is the kind of student that you want in your studio, terrific, like zero issues there. And then you do need to work out some, you know, some practicing and you've got to figure out how to, you know, and, and, and you are likely, if you make it explicit that that's the kind of studio you want to run, then you are going to, you're going to need to be explicit about that. And you're going to then start to attract the kinds of students who want to practice in that way and who want to have that kind of um, input. Power to you. Fantastic. But be sure that you are exploring that and that you, that that is what you want, you know? So, and again, this is all about like, let's explore and investigate whether this practice thing is actually what I want. Like, is this actually the way that I want my studio to run? Is this actually how I want to define success in my studio? Do I actually want to define success in this way? So if we are really clear about how we want to define success, that will then take some of that pressure off for practicing. I think the other thing that um, I loved, that I want to pull out and be explicit about is that you're so intentional about being clear about what is um, quote required in the studio with the parents and the students themselves. So the parents, right? So then parents aren't coming into the studio and, and here in Canada, lots and lots of the parents have done Royal Conservatory exams themselves, right? So they did piano or they did, you know, maybe they did singing or whatever they did themselves. So they, they, they often will come into you know, our studios and, and all over the world, right? If you've, if you've done sports or if you've done, you know, gymnastics, whatever, if you've done other activities, you come into the studio with this, with this sort of ingrained expectation around what your, what your kid or what you are supposed to do, big quotes, in, you know, in order to get better, in order to like, and again, you've got this, this framing around success again, right? So if we're, if we are able to, or sorry, if we are intentional about speaking with parents and with students about what the actual expectations and the and the outcomes are of the studio, that then takes all of that, like, you know, the shoulds. It takes all of those shoulds out. And then it relieves parents of, like, my kids should be practicing 30 minutes a day and they're not. And so like, we're not getting the value out of the lessons and blah, blah, blah. Right. So it relieves that whole pressurization. Um, and I think a third thing there is the, the talking about the joy of singing and saying to stay, saying to parents and to, I mean, the amount of adult avocational singers I have worked with who come in adults, especially they come in and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't practice this week. Like it just got so busy, right? Like I'm so sorry. And they're so apologetic and they feel bad. And right. And I'm like, oh, oh, we need to have a conversation about this. I actually couldn't care less whether you practice big quotes or not during the week. Right. I couldn't care less. What I want you to do is to, um, and, and one of the wonderful um, teachers that I've worked with recently is Chantel Mead, who's down in Texas, down in Texas, right? Hi, Chantel, call out. Um, one of the wonderful things that she talks about that, um, you know, that she expresses so well that I hadn't thought about in this way before. What I want for you is as, and for young singers in the studio, is as you're going through your day, I would love for you to hear my little voice in your head saying, do you love this? 
terrific. Let's try this. Let's try that. The, uh, I would love for you to have in your head, um, I walk by the piano and I think, you know what? I'm going to just like, I'm going to just see whether like I can sing a full scale from A to A. I'm just going to try that and just see as an exploratory exercise, right? And, and so, and even, and then, you know, you've got Chantel's head and uh, uh, Chantel's voice in your head saying, "Ooh, that was amazing. Can you try it a little bit more clear now? Ooh, that was amazing. What about if it's, what about if you sing it like Kermit the Frog? Ooh, that was cool. What about if you try it as, you know, as Miss Piggy? Like, <laughs> so it's all about the fun and the exploration of it. So even if you are working on technical exercises, so even if you are working on, you know, Royal Conservatory, for example, technical exercises, those technical exercises can be on the piano, and then, like, you can go by and be like, hmm, I'm going to just, like, I'm going to just try this, um, you know, dominant seven. And I'm going to try it with, like, a tongue troll first. And then I'm going to try it with a little dance move or two. Like, so that it becomes, it becomes, yeah, like, the joy of it is there um, rather than the prescription or the punitive, right? So we have the the joy of the exploration, the creativity is there. Um, and that gets you to a much better open, you know, kind of success around singing and practicing than the punitive can. And the wonderful thing about this instrument, about the vocal instrument, is that, I mean, <laughs> you can you can do a lot just by thinking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? I say this to the, my adult singers all the time. Like, if you are at work... Um, and you're, and, and, you know, it comes across and you think to yourself, "Mm, I really want to practice that one little run in like, you know, the Messiah or something. I want to really just like practice that one little run. You can do that. Like just by thinking about it and like bouncing in your chair while you're like typing out an email. Right. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. I love that. I always say that to my, going back to what you said about the avocational adults, I, I go through the same thing. I have, I, every week, every week I get the, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I do not care. And it's not that I don't care about you, but the practicing, like, I mean, I don't practice my yoga either. I need my teacher to make me go through the pose. I, I refuse my, I cannot hold downward dog for five breaths unless Steve is on the other side of the zoom call making me do it. I just won't. I just won't. And I want that feedback. So, you know, do I not invest in my yoga practice because I don't have the discipline or the interest in doing it by myself? Like it's fine. Well, I think it's fine. (laughs) Steve's probably what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, and I, like this, this practice thing is very, I mean, it really does, it's really quite strongly um, ingrained, especially in our Western classical music, right? It's very strongly ingrained in that and also very strongly ingrained in instrumental work because, I mean, I can get away with with thinking about something and kind of practicing it, you know, uh, at work with voice, I, uh, scales on the piano are a little bit more challenging. Like uh, that's a little bit more challenging. I mean, you can do that in your head, but like piano, like instrumental practicing requires a little bit of a different kind of 
motivation, a little bit of a different kind of work. Like that does require a little bit of a different kind of work. But our singing, excuse me, like the voice, it's with you all the time. You can do you can do the littlest thing and have a beautiful outcome, um, especially if you're doing creative exploration. Um, and I wanted to say one thing about, <clears throat> excuse me, so working with folks who, like I said, may be doing conservatory or who want to have a performance career, especially in, in our Western classical styles, um, and folks who are, you know, in academic institutions to, to become, uh, you know, who are going into performance, um, that kind of, in, and again, Western classical music requires a very specific kind of shaping, a very specific kind of coordination. It requires some really specific things to happen in the voice and, and in the way we use the voice. And um, those things are difficult to learn. They, they take a long time to, to figure out that it takes a long time to figure out that coordination, especially for Western classical singing. It takes a long time and it takes a lot of work and a lot of intentional work. But even that, even when we're learning that, it doesn't have to be 30 minutes a day working on my technical thing, working on this, working on this, working on this. There are, there are beautiful ways to work on practicing, um, or sorry, to practice and to work on your um, skills that are still creative and fun and motivating um, without having this like prescriptive, this is the way we have to do the thing. Which really only works for a very small amount of people. It does. I I mean, this is a lot of that executive function, right? Like, yeah. Like, and again, adults struggle with executive functioning, like understanding how to plan your day, how to organize your time, how to prioritize your, you know, and then of course, you your day is never goes the way it's supposed to, right? And I, I think I think we forget that that our our relationship with time is different, you know, depending on the student that you're working with and um and and we all struggle with it. I I wanna thank you for for this conversation and I and I hope the teachers that are listening can take some of this and, and reflect on maybe conversations that need to happen or, you know, how you want to set boundaries about what it, what is acceptable for your studio, or even maybe some more ways of working with students, um, that, that maybe struggle with executive functioning or, or finding the time and, and just question what is practice? Cause I mean, I think one of the things I've been telling my advocational adults lately is like active listening is practicing, right? Like, like, you know, you're listening, say you're driving in the car and you're listening to a song. Well, you know, maybe you focus on the rhythmic aspect of it and you just tap on your steering wheel. That's practicing. Like that is mindfully listening to the music from more of a, of what's going on point of view than just, you know, that kind of thing. So I love this conversation. Thank you so much. Beautiful. I'm going to throw one more little thing out there. Sure. Um, We know that when you think about singing, the vocal folds respond and engage. No way. This happens. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about active listening, yes, 
you are practicing when you when you act when you listen actively or when you think about singing. Mm, I love Just that. So you know. There we go. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Shannon, I love these conversations. We are debunking the myths in our voice pedagogy. Uh, let's next time I talk to you, we're gonna talk about warm-up specifically and reevaluating what is and what could be a fantastic warm-up. Wonderful. I look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you. A very special thank you to my wonderful friend and colleague, Mim Adams, and my wonderful friend and colleague, Shannon Coates, for their time and their talent today on the podcast. If you have not checked out our website, please do so. Go to the free resources page and download some fun freebies to have with your students. Uh, I recommend the Hot Chocolate Warm-Up. It is a fun little song written by Donna Rodenizer. It's a wonderful way to warm up your students and have some fun in your studio. And it is a free download. So please check that out. My friend, my colleague, my forever wish for you is that when your students sign out from your Zoom room or say goodbye from your in-person studio, that they do so with the biggest smile on their face. As always, I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing. Made by Canoe Music Productions.